Hey, Rob. Yo. What's up, buddy? How you doing, man? How's your right. Sunday so far? What's that? How's your Sunday? Oh, real good, real good. Got a little party going here. Guess who's here? Oh, Big George. Big. Hey, what's up, Rob? <laughs> what's up, George? Are you ready for this uh, podcast? I'm ready as I'm ever going to be. So this is going to be the 75th edition of The Rock Show with Black Flag. Our last show was um The Making of Nevada. Never mind. And today we have a very special, influential band that, you know what, they were great, but they had a lot of internal problems. They had a lot of band changes. And at the end, it's about one guy's ego and all the music <laughs> they did. Yeah, I mean, definitely one of the most important bands, most important punk bands of all time. Uh, they yep. were also one of the most important underground bands because what they did, uh, the, the you know, the do-it-yourself independent mentality that was really kind of forced on them. Uh, they paved the way for so many bands after them and their record label SST in the eighties. I mean, that was the label for underground music. So it's a big show today. Yeah. So um, let me ask you a question, Mike, since um about them. So can you tell me about the formation in the early days of um, Black absolutely, Flag? Absolutely. Originally, they weren't called Black Flag. They, they were, were called, called Black Fag. Black Fag? No, they're not called Black Fag. No, they were called... Did you ever see Black Fag? They were called something, something no, the no, band. No, I'm, I'm, George is only kidding. There actually was a band called Black Fag. Yeah, but they were called like yeah, Panic, they, right? The Panic? They were called Panic. And they started in 1976 in the Hermosa Beach area of California, uh, just a little south of Los Angeles, by a guy named Greg Ginn, okay? He was the guitarist, and singer Keith Morris, and they were basically uh, a band that was into, like, the Ramones and the Stooges and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, they put that band together, and they, originally they had a couple of different lineups with Morris and Ginn, but they eventually settled in with a guy named Chuck Dukowski, on bass. Uh, he was in a band called Worm, right, that Panic had played with at some shows. Uh, they had a guy named Brian Migdal, excuse me, Migdal, as their drummer. Um, Panic played their first gig in December of 77, but after almost a year or so, they would change their name to Black Flag because there was another band called Panic, and they didn't want people to get confused with that. So that's that's kind of how that got started. Um, there was a guy named Raymond Pettibon, who was Greg Ginn's brother. And he kind of came up with the name because it sounded cool. You know, it was like uh, it had to do with the insecticide. And also it meant like if a white flag was surrender, a black flag would be anarchy, which is what they were about. And the four bars logo that's famous. Uh, Petty Bond came up with that. It's supposedly it's supposed to be a flag waving. A flag like waving. Pistons, yeah. Like if you would look right, at it, like, right, right. So, but Raymond was more like you know old bands like you would try to come up with a simple symbol that anyone could do like a kid yeah. in high school when he was bored in class he could draw that or do like graffiti and say hey what's that oh that's black fag yeah you know? yeah excuse me <laughs> <laughs> yeah so what were you gonna say Rob. I say, so Raymond is his brother because he plays in a few tracks, right? Uh, yeah, I think he does a little bit, in some, you know, some guitar tracks when they started recording. Yeah. But mostly he did the artwork. You know that, right? 
Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did the artwork, but he was definitely influential with his brother because he's dead. They talk a lot about yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was very important, especially early on. Uh, but even throughout the, the the career, it was the the album covers were all designed by him. Well, he used to make a lot of the flyers when yes. the band was playing, and they would do like a lot of controversial subjects. Like they'd have like cops with guns in their mouth, and it would say like "Make me come, faggot." And then they would make these cops, <laughs> Charles make it like Charles Manson, Jesus. So that's why the cops were kind of like, what's with these guys? And of course, you know, people were getting up. He was very controversial. Supposedly, yeah. it was kind of under his tutelage that they kind of went in that direction to get attention. You know, the thing with the flyers, too, was like they when they started, they hit L.A. hard with those flyers. They were all over the place and they were also spray painting their logos on walls like graffiti and stuff walls. like that yeah true story and, and the uh the lapd would kind of pick up on them and the other punk bands and you know it it, it they had to deal with a lot of police problems through their whole you know career pretty much well i think because there was a bunch of there was a bunch of bands forming like in southern california right yeah i mean the la punk scene at that time it, it was you know, it was kind of all over the place. You know, 79 or so, they were like, uh, the, the, the scene was a little clicky, okay? For instance, if you, were, if you were from L.A., you would be able to get a gig at the main punk place called The Mask, right? Wow. But The Mask, the people that booked shows there were very elitist. Like, if you weren't specifically from L.A., they didn't want you there. Yeah, if you're, you're like from Huntington, right, or right, Fullerton, right, right. They, yeah, you, yeah. You so cool. you know, you weren't kind of cool. like they were the hipsters, right, right, exactly, exactly. What if you were a New York band? Would they book you? Probably. You know, if you were big enough, you know, they would want you there. But when like, it, let me say, if the Ramones just went up there, would they have a problem? Well, at that time, the Ramones would have been too big for the mask. Okay, like even okay. when the Ramones first went to L.A., I think in 76 or 77. Yeah, they yeah. played the Cuckoo's yeah. Nest, but they were also playing like, you know, it wasn't like the L.A. Civic Center or you know, something like yeah. that, you know, like a bigger type of place by the time they got over there. So let me ask you another question. Um, what what was uh, was these guys very difficult to work with? Um, was Jen a difficult guy to work with? Well, uh, Gin was well, yeah, probably. I, I I think that Gin was very driven. Uh, he's kind of a genius in a way. Right. I think, okay, yeah. I I mean he was uh you know I'll, I'll get into it with the uh, SST because the label is very important in the history of the band. You can't talk about one without the other. But yeah, you know, he was a guy at twelve years old. He started this this company called sst and it was basically a surplus world war ii era radio supply company and he, wow. and he and he actually at 12 years old was working on this equipment and remodeling them and fixing them and he selling them. he was recycling them right and he would sell them on uh i almost said online but not online but a a, 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 a catalog he had a mail order catalog that he did kids back he, in the day, right? You right, he, stuff you would open the catalog, <laughs> yep, like the Jason Penny catalog, number, yeah, you, you know, Sears Roebuck, you know, yeah. this is throwing. yeah, wow, yeah. So he pretty much technically had like his own record label. Well, it became a record label out of necessity because they couldn't they couldn't find anybody to to work with them, but he had this company, 
So he turned it into a record label. But getting back to your question on them, you know, being difficult, I think Ginn was difficult somewhat. Uh, you know, Morris in the beginning, the vocalist, he's more of a laid back, fun kind of dude. The lyrics were funnier. Uh, you know, later on, they got serious by the time Rollins was in the band. But as far as, you know, working with Ginn, I think, you know, it was his band. You, you knew you were in his band. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So what can you tell me about Morris, uh, about Kevin, Kevin Morris? Okay, uh, Keith Morris, Keith Morris. Keith Morris, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he, he's an interesting cat, too. I mean, he's like a laid-back guy, kind of like a burnout, right? I mean, he's got dreadlocks he's got, like you, Mike. He's got dreadlocks he's got like me. He's got real long He's got long-ass dreadlocks, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think he smokes yeah. a lot of weed. He smokes a lot of weed. <laughs> and I think, personally, he was their best singer. He's my favorite. Oh yeah, and and then you know he would he would you know they did the the nervous breakdown EP with him, and then you know when he left the band he started the Circle Jerks, another great band. So he's been in like two, you know, fantastic punk bands. Well, the first forty five has him singing on yeah. it, which was TV Party, and you can see yeah. how like TV Party was a short, lighthearted, fun song that people then like. Later on, they became like a little bit more angrier and talking about angst. More serious. So, yeah, you know, parental issues and stuff like that. We yeah. more like, and if you look at the band he formed after that, the Circle Jerks, you know, group sex. Right. They had a lot of funny songs. Wild in the streets. Wild in yeah. the streets. Yeah. I mean, it was more. Dude, but the guy was a, the guy was a heavy drug user, right? Uh, Morris, you talk about? Yeah. yeah. He well, I mean, some of the reasons they say he left the band. Was because of you know he, he drank was, too much Budweiser. He drank too much Budweiser, but he, he was doing a lot of <laughs> That'll speed. That'll kill anybody. But he back doing, then, I thought he didn't it was. Know any I, <laughs> I thought it was cocaine and speed it, it, that it got him out it of the was. band. George is fucking around. It was cocaine and speed, and you know, yeah, and that's all what around. Everybody did back then. That well, yeah, kinda, yeah. Life but, was more fun back then. But the problem was, he, he kind of <laughs> felt he kind of felt that you know he didn't have enough say in the band. Okay. You know, so that's that's why he left. Well, he always said it was like three against one. Right. They just kind of wanted him to sing. And he probably wanted to just want we do this one. You know, I, you can tell if you look at the interviews how he he says it like in a way without being conf- confrontational. But I think that was the case. That's why. And that's why he went off and started his own band. You know, what what can you tell me about the replacement of one of the drummers? And they got the guy uh, Robo. <laughs> well, Robo was from Colombia. Okay. And was he the one supplying the cocaine? <laughs> it might have been. He might have been. Might have been. Might have been. <laughs> it was kind of hard to get back then. Yeah, so yeah. Probably... You know, Robo Robo was a cool guy. Uh he basically They based the movie Robocop. Robocop. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that had a... he he replaced uh Migdal in seventy eight, okay? And he, yeah. when he joined the band, he kind of brought a ferocity and speed to the band that didn't have before okay okay and uh it i was think because of the cocaine it might have been know. the cocaine uh, you know he used, to wear, <laughs> he used to wear these like spiked bracelets when he played and wow. when you listen to the recordings with robo you could actually hear him clink <laughs> but wow but uh he he in my opinion when he started the band that's really hardcore right there like the sure. birth of hardcore you know definitely uh, you could point to that uh, he was that kind of drummer. And, you know, he would have success later on in the Misfits and some other stuff. 
Oh, I remember we did the show. That's that's the same guy. Same guy, yeah. Oh shit. Mm-hmm. What can you tell me about this critic of Black Flag that he thought they were like the best band ever? Um, Ivan Robinson is his name, uh, I think. You, you, no, um, Ira. Ira Robbins, right? Ira Robinson. Ro- Ira Robbins. Is it Robbins or Robinson? I can. Robbins. Robbins, right? He was a, a critic for Trouser Press. Okay. Trouser Remember Press. Trouser Press magazine, yes. right? And they they were one of the few. Where's my trousers? <laughs> Trouser Press. He was one of the main writers for, for Trouser Press, and Trouser Press was a magazine that Is came out. An English magazine? No, no, I think it was American. Really? Yeah, I think it was American. Um, they, it came out once a month, like Cream or that stuff. And they dealt mostly with more Trousers? of the punk and new wave stuff, where Cream was like more they rock. Just no, he pretty much called fucking uh Black Flag the first the first hardcore band. Yeah, yeah. And then you know you can make that argument, it's true. You know? Well, I think a lot of times what that happens because some people are gonna say it's DOA because they have that album, but that's hardcore eighty one. Right. And Black Flag's like the late seventies, so it's always gonna be a little bit of a Yeah. But I would definitely for me personally, I would think it was definitely Black Flag. Yeah, I, I kind of tend to so agree it, with that. Wow. Because then after that then you had minor threat, but that's all going like more into No, but I mean Black Flag went to DC and Minor Threat formed because right. of it. They were both yeah. at the shows. Yeah, Ian yeah, McKay. yeah. Ian McKay. They there. were holding yeah. hands the whole show. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Henry Rollins, yeah. Yeah, I know what you're getting at, though. <laughs> so so um, this guy, Morris, left, and he got replaced by a guy named Ron. Yeah, Ron Reyes, okay. Reyes, was he Hispanic? Well, what do you think with a name like that? <laughs> Roberto, what do you think? Well, you, you listen to him talk, he sounds like a, like a surfer dude. Well, he's yeah, okay. He's, well, he's like born here, you know. But he's just, but a lot of those bands were like, was it Soto and the Vandals? They yeah, were all suicidal kinda, tendencies. Yeah, yeah I mean, they're suicidal tendencies. So pretty much, this guy came on the band where he started. He became the new lead but singer. He was a, he was and, a fan. Um, see, okay, he 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 was a fan of the band. Dude, the other yeah. guy was a fan too. Des, yeah, Des. I mean, they they will and Rollins was a fan, okay. And they ended up so. they ended up being. I didn't say fag. I said fan, no, okay. <laughs> but you know, Reyes would join up, okay, and he would be their singer for only a little short time. But the time that he was in the band, they recorded this the the Jealous Again EP, which is classic. Yep. All right. He also yeah. appeared. In the movie The Decline of Western Civilization. Now, I think it's- what can you tell me about oh, that that's, movie? That's anyways. a fantastic film uh, dealing with the LA punk scene at the time, around 1980. Um, it, you know, it dealt with these bands up close, how they were living. Some of them were living like on the streets or in like squatter kind of. Ron Reyes was living in a closet. Yeah, right. Ron Reyes was actually living in a closet at a place. I think it was called the Church. It was it was it was, it was it was it was an old Baptist church that not it stopped being a church and they used to rent it out hippies. to hippies and, and stuff and punks. and punks right and they would like the whole band well, most you know of the band was living there fight, the punks <laughs> <laughs> the wow great movie. we should watch it one day to get get lumped up it's good 
Maybe that's one of the movie we should do for a movie. Absolutely, madness. and there's there's a couple of them. There's actually three of them. the The first one it deals with the punk years. The second one deals with heavy metal, like Lemmy's in it and Blackie Lawless from Wasp and Alice Cooper in it. Wow. Bunch of people. Well, the first one's good because it's got like the germs. It's got X axes. Yeah. It. Uh, it's Black Flag. Black, yeah, Black, Black Flag. Black yeah, yeah. And Circle Jerks too, I think. I think Circle yeah. Jerks are in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go through all those bands. Those yeah, it's that, good uh, stuff. It's good and stuff. And of course, Fear. Fear, definitely yeah. Fear. That's a great band. Wow, that's a yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you another. What was this thing? The guy quit in the middle of a show. Yeah. Okay. What can you tell me about the, the that? But that, that must have been a six. Ran out of cocaine and he left. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Reyes was a guy that um. You know, he wouldn't last that long. He made his mark. But one thing that he didn't like about being in the band was all the violence. Now, the violence at, the, at these shows were, were getting worse and worse. And it was something that they had to deal with their whole career through the 80s um, and the police problems. OK, but Reyes sometimes would just like leave in the middle of a show. Like he wow. would just get aggravated and, and leave. And he was, you know, kind of unreliable in a way. And uh, he didn't have the greatest voice either. Um, I think but he had a drinking problem. He had a drinking problem too. I think. Yeah, I think you, you think you can tell that in the in the movie because yeah. yeah, he's like he's constantly wasted. Too much Budweiser. It was all yeah. Mostly he that. was like Keith Morris, but without the talent. With you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The dreadlock. Yeah, I mean, if you can like smoke weed and drink and get up on stage and do a show, it's great. Fine. It's hey, great. It's, it's great. You know, look at what. I mean, did bike a crank for like 70 years. Exactly, exactly. But Reyes actually, uh, what what happened is he, in the middle of a gig, he just like quit and walked off the stage, didn't come back. And then they ended up doing like a 20-minute version of Louie Louie and they had fans come up on stage and sing. Imagine that shit. You're in the show and the next thing is Louie. Yeah, like in the middle of the show, they did like a 20-minute version because he walked off the stage. <laughs> Is there any footage of that? I don't think so. I don't think so. But it was at a place called um, uh, Fleetwood? Fleetwood in Redondo Beach. Okay. And, you know, he said that he did it because of all the escalating violence at the shows. But yet, yet he hits Dez in the head with, right. with a brick. He hit Dez in the head with a brick. With a guitar player. Yeah. And the brick actually <laughs> broke. Yeah. It didn't hurt him. Exactly. That's how- that's a fucking hard head. Definitely. I, my head's pretty hard, but that's... <laughs> I don't think I... Do were, were they as violent as a Gigi Allen show? What's that? Were they as violent as when you went to a Gigi Allen show? Where it was... Well, it, it was like a Gigi Allen show without the shit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Allen, just the, just the violence. The Bronx Zoo, wow. They throw shit at you with music. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I want to talk about a little bit, Rob, for a minute? Is, yeah. Uh, the SST record label, okay? Yeah, definitely, because they keep mentioning them a bunch of times. Yeah, like... yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, you can't talk about one without the other. They're, they're definitely intertwined. Um, the SST company, before it was a record company, like I said, it was a radio surplus company. And Gin well, I think st- he used to design stuff. Well, he would design he using would the parts. Tuners. Like he was taking all this old stuff that was laying in warehouses yeah. and actually creating something yes. out of that people would buy. And I guess it was probably for like ham radio people. Right. People that have this as hobbies. And, and he had like a mail order catalog. 
and he's been doing it since he was 12 years old. But when when wow. nobody was interested in Black Flag as far as like releasing anything, he decided to turn SST into a record label. So in January of 77, the Nervous Breakdown EP came out, all right? And it came out as SST Records. Now, the second release in 1980 was the uh, the Minutemen's debut EP called Paranoid Time. Great, great, okay. great, great record. Now, in time, SST would become a huge indie label. and But, you know, in the early years, they were harassed by the police because of the violence at Black Flag shows. The cops knew that SST and Black Flag were the same guys. So they, you know, what, what they would do is they thought they were dealing drugs. So, oh, because they had a Colombian wow. drummer named Robo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and he was Hispanic. <laughs> and he was here illegally. Yeah, <laughs> probably was. That, but what the cops would do is they would set up these like sting operations and try to nail them. They would have like guys, you know, undercover guys dressed like homeless people, and they would be sleeping on the sidewalk in front of SST's office. Wow. Okay. Well, that was probably because of all the gang shit. Yeah, there was a lot of big problems. So they were probably like, you know, anything subversive or anything. And plus, there were probably a lot of parents like, my kid came home with this record and he's not the same. You got to do something about it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Punk rock was dangerous back then, you know. But of a drug. And and the the SST uh, label, they had a house record producer. The guy's name was Spot, okay? And yeah. he would be with them for years, uh, and sometimes he would work as Black Flag's tour manager as well. But other bands that SST would sign through the 80s was like Huskadu, the Meat Puppets were on SST. Great band. Right? The Bad Brains, Sonic Youth. Dinosaur Jr. Dinosaur Jr. was oh. on SST. <laughs> yeah, I never liked Dinosaur Jr. I, I always but... puked in my mouth when I heard that. <laughs> so... But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, SST is a huge thing. You could do a whole show on that. But definitely Black Flag, you know, carved the way, paved the way for a lot of underground music. So this guy left, um, Ron left. Who took over for Volkerist after he left? Was that that with uh, Henry Rodin? Another big fan. The guy's name was Des Kadena. Okay. He also played guitar. But he joined as the lead singer. And it was at this point that the band was kind of like peaking in popularity in Southern California. Uh, way yeah. to sell out the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium, and that, that held 3,500. And that was really the time wow. they were ever able to do that. Uh, but with this popularity, the LAPD beefed up their efforts against the band and punk wow. general, okay? So the LAPD said it was to, it was to stop the violence. But most people agreed that the police really instigated more violence than they solved, you know, more problems than they solved. So it's kind of bullshit. But after about a year, Des Kadena would want to give up singing and just be a guitar player in the band. And okay. so they were going to go down to being like a two guitar and bass and drum lineup, which was different than what they had. OK, because Kadena didn't play while he sang. He just sang. Right. OK. Ain't, ain't two guitar like a lot for a band? Well, it depends on the band, the style of music. Okay? Well, the key is getting two guitar players to play well together. That's very right. hard. That's hard to do. Because it's like two egos, two different styles. Right, you know? right. Now, when 
Kadena quit as as vocalist, now they they would need a singer. All right, uh, they they had just done like a long national tour, so they had a little time. And uh, when he stepped down, they started having auditions. So here's where you have Henry Rollins come in. So this is where the Rollins era started. And Rollins was actually in another band, right? He was like in yeah. a band called SOA. Right. What was what they were SOA style for? State of Alert, okay? And, okay? and they were kind of a hardcore band, but, you know, definitely influenced by Black Flag. Rollins was a big fan of Black Flag. He had seen them the first time they came to the 930 Club in D.C., where Rollins was from. Okay, and, um, you know, he had seen them on their first trip to D.C. and was blown away. And he kept a correspondence with them. All right. Phone calls and letters and stuff. Back then, they called it a correspondence. It wasn't an email. It wasn't a correspondence course. Correspondence course. (laughs) You're such a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Dick. (laughs) By the way, folks, we're lumped up. Okay. Uh, I can yeah. tell. <laughs> now, what happened was the band ended up doing uh, coming back to New York City for a little while, and they were auditioning vocalists. So Rollins had heard about some like show that was going to be at A Seven, which is Niagara. Okay. Yeah. And uh, during that, they went to the show. They were, I think it was a surprise show. They weren't really supposed to be playing, but Rollins knew because he was corresponding with them okay and uh <laughs> corresponding in the men's room yes and he was asked to come on stage for the encore they did the song clocked in and he came up and he impressed the band and the fans it was a great performance and they asked him listen we need a singer why don't you audition so that was like the next day or something so see you in detroit well not yet oh. not yet because first he he does the audition he nails it you now, Henry yeah. Rollins, or excuse me, Henry Garfield, <laughs> had this big career as being a manager at Hagen Dazs Ice yeah. Cream. Yeah. So he had this big right. decision to make. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He and actually had to ask Ian McKay, okay, yes. if it was okay. Yes. All right. You know, and, he and, had to correspond <laughs> with him. <laughs> and pretty much yeah. Ian McCain yeah. encouraged him, right? What's that, Rob? Even Ian McCain encouraged him to yeah, take the gig. Yeah, I mean, you know, he said, listen, what, are you going to work at a fucking ice cream place your whole life? Okay. <laughs> you yeah. know, or do you want to be in the singer in your favorite band? So it really, you know, wasn't a hard decision. Now, he got his shit together, and he ended up joining the band in Detroit, okay, while they were doing their tour. And he started off as a roadie. He would learn the lyrics every night, and he would do sound checks, and then he occasionally did the encores. So he was he was getting ready. Isn't that where the Good Rats came up with the song "Taking It to Detroit"? Did that have anything? Uh, to do I don't, no, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm taking it to taking Detroit. it to Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Henry was a different kind of singer, though, because the one no, thing they, they liked about him was he His had a he, he, he had no he, he wasn't he wasn't a swimmer's bod yet. Oh. He wasn't. Well, he well, was always pretty athletic. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> You're an idiot. He wanted okay. them all no. nice and oiled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, what happened is he turned the band on to all kinds of different music. Henry Henry was always, like, very uh, 
you know, eclectic with his tastes. And he was into all kinds of music instead of just punk rock. So Yeah, he loves a little bit of everything. Right, he loved a little bit of everything. And he turned them on to, uh, you know, other stuff like the go-go music that was popular in D.C. at the time, which was kind of like a, a funk kind of thing. And uh, Well, a lot of people were into that. Yeah, a yeah. Lot of the hardcore people. Yeah, show up. but they didn't know about that in California. Yeah. So that was something new to them. But um, one thing that would change when Rollins joined is that the lyrics and the general theme of the music got more serious. Uh, and longer. Due to right. his village people influence. <laughs> He's a big fan of the village people. Yeah, I think he was. But because, wow. because he's such an intense performer, all right, uh, often he's wearing, like, just shorts and no shirt and, you know. Oiled up. Oiled up and ready to go they into the audience. They wanted some eye candy. <laughs> they all those young skinhead boys. They ended, they, what happened is they would end up, <laughs> what happened, Rob, is they would end up not doing a lot of the earlier songs like Six Pack or Nervous Breakdown. All right, they they stopped doing the more like silly songs and did more of the serious shit, like you okay. know that would that they had in the, in the lineup. But um, having only released a few EPs, the band had to work on a full length album at this point. Yeah, and uh, the album in the works would eventually become the album Damaged. Okay, but some of it had been recorded already with SST, with you know Des Kadena. Keith Morris on vocals and Ron Reyes. So they had to figure out, you know, how they were going to work this out because Spot hated this new two guitar sound that they had. Yeah. The record. Really? Yeah. He didn't like it. He, he thought it changed their dynamics. Des you know? is actually a very good guitar Des is a great guitar player. Okay. He plays leads like he sounds like he doesn't know what he's doing, mm-hmm. but he does. He was good in the in in yeah. the like this later period of the Misfits. Yes, he when was he played, very. When they were three pieces. Yeah. He was freaking yeah. awesome. He was really good before they got Danzig back and everything. Yeah, yeah, when it was just only. But um, Spot didn't like this lineup, and and you know he was kind of like at odds with the band on what to do. But the way they recorded the Damaged album was they they didn't put any separation between the guitars, so it kind of has this like one guitar sound, and it's a little muddy. But it's a, it just works. I don't know. And, 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 you know, when the band is asked, they say, yeah, that was our idea. It wasn't Spot's idea. So, you know, whatever. But the new songs that, you know, Henry was involved in were way more personal and emotional, which was a big change compared to, like, Nervous Breakdown or Six Pack, you know. Um, the classic song on that album is Rise Above, I think. You know, first, it starts off with that. Uh, yeah. Spray Paints, another one. Uh, TV Party. They had that song anyway. That was around. Uh, police that, that, police that Story. That encouraged me to break my mirrors. You broke all the mirrors in yeah, your house? I think, I, I just think how many mirrors were broken when a kid bought that album cover yeah. and went and punched them. Right. I'm going to go and punch my mirror. Because that's what the album cover is. It's a mirror being sh- shattered. Back lock. Back lock. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Now, you know, they went on a big national tour when this album came out and yeah. it was done totally independently and it was done with a, a do-it-yourself kind of spirit and that particular blueprint the places they played and the, the the order they did the shows was like a blueprint for a lot of independent bands that would follow through the 80s wow yeah. so but i mean you know they were on their way and um the album was actually being distributed 
by Unicorn Records. Now, did you want to ask me about this? Because this was like a big part. Yeah, because here Unicorn Records kind of went out of business. Then MCA was trying to take, but they didn't want to distribute. And then you get the whole shit with the anti-parents yeah. and all that other crap. What happened? And this was a, what, what happened this was, was a shit show. What happened, Rob, it, it, it's, it's a little more than that. Because Unicorn was a subsidiary of MCA. MCA was the parent company. And they were gonna, yeah. Unicorn was going to distribute the, the, the record nationally. But yeah. the thing was, was Unicorn was ran like shit. And it never made any money. And there was an MCA executive named Al Bergamo who determined that the album was anti-parent. Okay? Yeah. And said, yeah, we're not going to distribute this. Nobody in our company is going to distribute this. But... In reality, Unicorn Records was run so bad that MCA felt they would actually lose money if they distributed the record. Yeah. So it was kind of a scam, all right? And they just wanted to cut their ties with Unicorn, probably, okay? So the band now stuck with, like, all these albums that were pressed and, and, and packaged and ready to go, okay? They said, all right, well, fuck it. We'll do it ourselves through SST. But the problem was, was they had tons of these albums with the MCA label on it. So now you're distributing it, but it says MCA. So that's illegal. Yeah. All right. So what they did was they just stuck a sticker on it where the MCA was on the record. So you couldn't see it. Okay. But and it said anti-parent on this. Yes. Okay. But they got jammed up. MCA sued. Uh, and it would begin a whole like legal problem that went on for several years where they couldn't release anything under their name all right so imagine you, you you got your own record label you're pressing records but you can't put anything out under the name black flag how fucked up is that that's crazy so what did these guys do to overcome this well that you know they, they, it went on for a couple of years these things you know there was a hold on on a court order basically saying you cannot release anything under the black flag name so what they did is in the winter of 81 and 82, the band took the Minutemen, which was one of the bands signed on their label, great band. Uh, yeah. They took them to the UK, and it was both of those guys' first time over there. Um, they met punk icon Richard Hell, and they opened for him one night. In, the Voidoids. In, uh, the Voidoids, yes, yes. And Ronald, uh, Rollins actually always, he would keep a, a journal uh, through his whole career. And this particular, these entries in the journal from this time was part of that book called Get in the Van that came out. And uh, on the way home from that really successful tour, the drummer Robo was detained at customs in the UK and he had a problem with his visa. And they yeah, said, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they called out the, <laughs> the, dr- the cocaine sniffing drugs. Like, what the hell is this guy? Yeah. yeah. He got deported to Colombia from the UK. The movie right. Blow is really about him. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so probably the guy was illegal, right? For a bit, I, I don't know. I, 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 I think he had a work visa. Yeah, some something. kind. He had some yeah. kind of, you know, yeah, he had some kind of visa, but it wasn't in order, I guess, to go. Maybe he shouldn't have been in the UK. He should have only been in the U.S. In or the something. US. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. But he would get deported to Colombia instead of back to the United States, and. Uh, it would only be for a few months because he would make it back to the United States, but he would be out of the band and he would join the Misfits in 83 and he would play on like the Earth AD album and all that stuff. Um, he never grew a devil lock. Though. He never grew he a devil. Right. He didn't have a devil he lock. He said if it grows, it grows. 
never it did. never did. Yeah. <laughs> but the band, okay, now was 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 without a drummer. They were still having problems with yeah. the court order. Okay, they couldn't release anything, but they were recording a lot. Uh, but they couldn't put anything out, so they still had to wait. Now they shorted drummers, so they would have some drummers yeah. kind of fill in for them for a little while because they their touring kind of slowed down a little bit at that point. Uh, they ended up uh, going to Vancouver, and at the time there was the the hardcore yeah. band DOA, and they had a drummer yes. named Chuck Biscuits. Chuck Biscuits, right? And Chuck was leaving DOA at the same time that they were in Vancouver, so and DOA was from Vancouver. So they, Chuck left the band and just hooked up right away with, with Black Joey Flag. Shithead. Right, right. Joey Shithead, yeah. Anyway. The <laughs> band, <laughs> the band, now, what happened was they joined up right away, but Chuck didn't really work out. He wasn't a good fit with the band because for him and Henry okay. Rollins didn't get along. Uh, Rollins called him a fuck-up. He said he's just a fuck-up. He didn't like him. And uh, he wouldn't last long. But what they did is they recorded some demos uh, with Chuck. And it was called yeah. the 1982 Demos. And a lot of that stuff ended up being on the next my album, war, yep. which was My War. All right. Yeah, yeah. So say that you're my friend. You are one of them. Yeah. So, yep, great it, So Ronan's pretty now, much, in his book, Get in the Van, he pretty much called Biscuit, like, terrible, fuck up. and <laughs> yeah. He called him a fuck up piece of shit, you know, whatever. Well, Henry Rollins used to say stuff like lazy body, lazy mind, like he had his own little mantra of, you know, yeah. being, even though when he was a kid, he was on Ritalin all the time because he was hyperactive. Right. So right. Probably to him, you know, Cal, being from DC, being from the East Coast, and then like, you know, California hippie culture, they're all a bunch of potheads. Yeah, it was a little like, different. Oh, you're a loser. You're a loser. Yeah, it was but like the a... guy ends up running SST Records, so he couldn't have been that much of a loser. <laughs> he ended up being a tour manager. You got to yeah. be somewhat so, stupid. Right, so this right, guy right. actually right. Biscuit now, gave him a big fuck you and joined the Circle Jerks. Yeah, he ended up joining Keith Morris and the, and the Circle Jerks. Now, at this point, when he left, um, uh, and he joined the Circle Jerks. He would go on later on to join up with Glenn Danzig on his first solo album as well. Yes, okay. And at this point, Black Flag would settle on Bill Stevenson from The Descendants on drums. And he had actually filled in a few times when they were using fill-in drummers. The band at this point in 83 was kind of changing musically as well. They They were writing slower, longer songs that some felt were kind of like a direction change and some didn't like it. Okay. They actually grew their hair yes. for a little while. That's an interesting yeah. Story. Yeah. They grew their hair because tell, tell um, they were getting a, it was funny, I guess, cause they were on tour and they were like living in squats and wherever they could stay and they didn't cut their hair. And a lot of the punk rock people were like, well, what are you guys hippies? And everyone's like, yeah, I'm a hippie. <laughs> yeah. I'm That's a hippie. why I'm doing that. He purposely said, fuck you. I'm going to grow my hair long now just to be a dick. Yeah, so I respect that. Yeah, and, I, and he was he said, you know, what am I? He's, he's like, what am I back in fucking high school? And you're gonna bully me, make fun of how I look? Right. Okay. Right. You know, I mean, it was anti-punk right there doing that. Okay, it didn't matter. Well, Ramones had long hair. Unfortunately, that's what ends up happening because yeah. then, then you have the elitist crowd, and then you have the cliques, and then well, 
you know, you think about a punk rock should be like anti anything, but then there's a whole culture within that, which is certain things that are acceptable and certain things that aren't acceptable. Right. Well, it got very, to me is bullshit. it got very elitist at that point. Yes. One, one band that used to bitch about that all the time was the Dead Kennedys. Yes. Jello Biafra was always like, don't tell me what the fuck to write about and sing about. I'm, you know, I'm, you can't do that. That's against the whole well, he's thing. Another fucking no, he's douchebag a douchebag, too. He's a douchebag, but he's got a point. No, he's not. Yeah. Him, yeah. You know, but um, they he's were a, writing these other. He's these, a blowhard. He's a blowhard, right? He loves so, to hear himself talk. So, so what can you say yes. about? Um, they started listening to other other than punk, and they were listening to the Jimi Hendrix experience, and they started using cannabis and all kind of shit. These guys. Well, well, Ginn always smoked pot. Dukowski was a big pothead. Uh, they lo- look. I mean, from the beginning, they admitted they loved Black Sabbath. All right. Uh, who but who doesn't? I yeah. mean, anybody from everybody loves Black Sabbath. I mean, if you don't, I kind of question it. <laughs> you know, I was in California in 1979, and that was just before I started high school. And I remember I was hanging out in Anaheim, which wasn't too far from uh, Huntington, who's where the cuckoo's nest was. And I remember finding a Black Sabbath cassette, and the same day I saw a black flag fl- flyer. On a fucking like lamppost or something. Yeah, that's so it cool. was kind of weird. I was like, Black Flag. Wow, black... What the hell is that? <laughs> and it was like paranoid out, but it was like a black cassette. Yeah, yeah. So it was like kind of like black, black. Old know? new, but it's both yeah, black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, look, they, they were getting influenced by all different things. And I think that probably had something to do with Rollins as well. He had a, a wide musical taste. Ginn was a deadhead. He admitted he was a deadhead. You know, he didn't like everyone else. <laughs> like Shocking. everybody else. I mean, it wasn't much different. That's true. And De- Des Des Kadena loved Hawkwind. Well, Hawkwind did have Lemmy in it. Yeah, well, Lemmy was in yeah, Hawkwind. You know yeah, and saying? that was different. And Lemmy time. could really sing good. He could only he was the only one who could hit that high note and uh, was it silver silver machine silver machine. So yeah, Mike, yeah, at yeah, this yeah, point, yeah, Des Casino so. left and formed a DC three. Yeah, uh, Kadena left, forms DC three. And he puts out an album right away, okay. And so he, you know, he had a, a career going at that point. Um, they would end up bass player Dukowski left the band too at that point. Now some say that Ginn pushed him out, but Rollins was the one that eventually fired him because he wasn't progressing enough as a bass player. Uh, Dukowski would stay on as acting tour manager, and he would also end up running SST for a while. They finally released an album uh, in 83 on SST called Everything Went Black, but they had to credit it to the individual members of the band and not the band name, Black Flag. So they were able to put that out because they were still in that litigation with Unicorn and MCA. Uh, But by early 84, Unicorn would, would go out of business and they were released from that court injunction. So in March, they released My War which yeah. is a great fucking album. I love that album. Uh, the first side of that album was kind of like a continuation of Damaged, the same style. Uh, tracks like My War, Can't Decide, they were very similar to what was going on in Damaged. But side two, and this was the back, you know, do you, does everybody understand what I mean by side one, side two? Yeah. That's all lost now. Okay. CDs. But side two was only on three long, uh, LP, which means long playing record. Right, right. 
we going back to the Stone for, Age. For you dummies out there. We invented fire. And oh, my God. <laughs> now, side two was only three tracks, and they were like six minutes long each, okay, which was totally alien to the hardcore scene. You know, this six- song's too long, man. <laughs> what the hell's wrong with you? What are you, a fucking hippie? <laughs> we got weed. There was a song called Nothing Left Inside, a song called Three Nights, and Scream. Okay? Now, they were more metal, Black Sabbath kind of influence than anything they had ever released. Did you know that Oh, Black Flag yeah. merged? It was one of the first ones to merge with heavy metal. Yeah. At City Gardens. Are you going to go into this? The City Gardens No, go ahead. Black Flag, one of their last tours, they had a big PA system. And the guy who booked City Gardens, which was in Trenton, New Jersey. I I was there many times. Venom came to America, but they they wanted to play a show. They were here to record, and they wanted to play a show. And they they wanted to play City Gardens. So they actually called up Black Flag and said, look, we'll pay you. And we'll pay for your PA system. Wow. Because they wanted a big system and they played City Gardens. Wow. And it was really funny because, of course, Henry Rollins thought like Venom was completely ridiculous. So he was walking well, they around. Were, they, they were a satanic metal band. <laughs> was, well, it gets better. Yeah. So Henry Rollins was walking around the show with a pentagram. He put oh, a oh, pentagram with a magic mark oh, on his hand. hand. He was like, Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. <laughs> so imagine being at that show and then Harry Rollins is walking through the show. We and then what they ended up song. doing, because Cronus was saying like these ridiculous things in between songs. So they actually edited a tape just of Cronus talking between the show. It's pretty fascinating. <laughs> it's all the banter in between. All the banter. Oh, okay. Wow. That's cool. I never heard that story. Yeah. Now, they, they would. And that's not made up. That's a true story. Were you at that show? No, actually, I, I heard about I heard of the stories because that was when Venom came to America. It was pretty weird. I, I was actually talking. This was a long time ago. I was talking to Scott Ian when Venom played and they played a show in Staten Island. Where they actually blew up part of the stage. Oh, <laughs> we should do a show about that. Venom was fucked up. Yeah. Um, at this point, they would need a bass player. So they would uh, recruit female bass player Kira Roseler. Okay. Now she was the sister of Paul Rosler from yep. 45 Grave. And I'll, you know, at and this Henry Rollins' girlfriend. Maybe, right? Maybe. Maybe. Well, well might have been cover. You never know. Wink, wink. You never know. <laughs> but at this point, they would start recording a lot. And uh, in reality, Rosler was a, a much better bass player than Dukowski was. Okay. And in 84, they would release three albums in just that year. And it was called Family Man was the first one. And that had some kind of like, it was weird. It had songs, but then it had this spoken word stuff kind of in between that Rollins was doing. They had the uh, the album Slip It In, which is like probably my favorite Black Flag album Wait, cover. isn't that sexist? Slip it in? Well, that's I mean, the one with the nun. Today? Did you ever see that album cover, Rob? It's the one with the nun and... Like it's a yeah, I remember cartoon, that was like very, like very, that was very, uh, very taboo, very like don't touch it. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a nun and she's on, got on all fours. She's like, you could tell she's low, like kneeling because there's a guy's legs in front of her and the legs don't have, yeah, she's a naked butt. And it was a naked, right, like naked legs and, and she's got her arm around, like, whoa, you know, so it's controversial. But they got away with that, but spinal tap couldn't get away with smell the glove. Smell the glove as well. Wow. <laughs> Seems, doesn't seem fair. 
And it was on, you know, it was on Slip It In. And then they came out with a live album, too, called Live 84. That's really good. But it was on Slip It In and Family Man that they started to kind of experiment a little bit between, like, punk and metal. Uh, the live shows at this point had kind of dropped. They dropped all the older crowd favorites like Nervous Breakdown, Six Pack, and TV Party. They weren't really doing it. How could you it. not do TV they Party? They just weren't doing it. They, they, yeah, you know. Because um, we're artists now. That's all. They got, I, I don't know. They, they just, didn't, they, they, it didn't, you know, fans loved it. But I, I dream of a day where I could just go on stage and read from my book like, like a poet. <laughs> I'm a poet laureate. And yeah, people going to listen to That was Rollins. Me. That was Rollins. But one thing that was the same was the violence at the shows. Now, what was happening at that point, because they started to change their style, a lot of the violence wow. was being directed at the band. All right. And, and Rollins, was, Rollins had decided to become a weightlifter at that point. Okay. I guess he. Really? He had well, to beef up? He had to beef up. I guess, you know, he was finding himself, right? He <laughs> <laughs> wanted to cash back. He wanted to look, he wanted to look, you know, dominant. He wanted to be the top. <laughs> no more pillow biting for no him. No more pillow biting for him. He was taken over. Okay. But, oh God. but that didn't stop people from fucking with him, though, even though he was starting to get big. Okay. People would throw shit at him and everything. But uh, in 85, 86, Ginn was a big pothead at this point. And it kind of annoyed Rollins a lot. And in 85, they would release the album Loose Nut. And it had more of like a slicker, polished production than anything they had ever done. It had tracks like Loose Nut, Bastard in Love, uh, This Is Good, and I'm the One. More- <laughs> oh, he's the one. Yeah, right. he's the one, all right. Yep. And more, more metal sounding a little bit. And 85 would also bring another lineup change as Kira Rosla was fired for erratic behavior. Supposedly, she had a college schedule that interfered with the band's activities. Yeah. So they didn't, they didn't like that. I think Henry just, I think Henry just wanted to get rid of her, right? Probably. Yeah, yeah I, I think. I think. Now, drummer Stevenson uh, left, and he was replaced by a guy named Anthony Martinez. They had a lot of Hispanic, Hispanic people in this band. <laughs> but did, we sneak in everywhere. Yeah, did these guys know. work doing the, did these guys <laughs> work know, doing the Puerto know, Rican Day Parade? You're, you're, <laughs> George is George here. He's a sneaky Hispanic. You wouldn't know yeah, it. George Figueroa. Yep, yep. But in the fall of '85, <laughs> they would come well, out. Always got a knife on me. Just in case. That always is a sign. That's a short sign. But in the fall of '85, they would release the album "In My Head," and it's kind of a. I like that album. It's 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 a proto grungeish kind of album. Has like a bluesy metal edge to it. But they would tour behind it uh, for about six or eight months. But at this point, there was a lot of infighting in the band and creative differences. And it basically caused... Irreconcilable differences. Irreconcilable differences. And it caused a breakup. Lovers squarrel. Uh, The last show that they would do would be in Detroit in June of 86. Now, you know, Rollins says that he just got a call from Ginn and, you know, said, that's it. You know, we're done. You know, so that was it. But, you know, between 87 and 2012, interest in the band would always remain strong. And they would do some reunion shows. Now, some would feature Des Kadena uh, and even Ron Reyes on vocals. But 
and and Keith Morris too. But in December 2011, Morris surprised fans at a gig at the Santa Monica Auditorium and did a complete show of the Nervous Breakdown EP wow. with members of Black Flag. So they been gearing up by 2011. It'd been a long time. It'd been you know 20 years practically, 30 years almost. But in 2013, Greg Ginn and Ron Reyes announced a new Black Flag album was in the works. And the band would tour as well on an album called What The? Question mark? Okay. And uh, it, you know, people were excited that, you know, fans were excited. I remember hearing about it. And it got released on December 13th of that year. Yeah, but that was the first album they did like like, in 20 years, right? More than that, more than that. Then it was the first one in, since, your, in uh, my head or whatever. What the hell was it? In, in my head, yeah. And that was eighty-five, so it was like twenty-six years. Okay, since they put anything out, and the fans didn't like it, the critics didn't like it. Uh, I heard one or two tracks. I wasn't that impressed with it. Ron Ray's vocals suck. Uh, they they were never good, yeah, but not a good but when in 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 that particular, what I heard him on that, I'm like, nah, this doesn't work anymore. Well, I think he just got in the band because he was living in the squat with them, and I think that's kind of he was only in the band six months, but yeah. he was in that movie, right? Decline of Western Civilization, and, he, and he's on so the Jealous why. again and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, but it 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 didn't really work out because Ron Reyes would actually be fired mid set at a show in Australia. Okay, like he got into an argument with Ginn on stage and was Ginn just fired him. He got into an argument Dude, with Dude, how come these guys, man? Then <laughs> these guys the having problems What's that in the problem? middle of fucking performance. What the fuck? I know, I know. Just crazy. Not very professional. Craziness. Now, at the time when that happened, uh, you know, they brought their tour manager up and, and, and he, you know, finished the show as the singer. Okay, so. It's crazy. And he's actually he's actually he's actually their singer now. His name is Mike Vallelli. Okay. Did you just get Chuck Dabrowski to sing? They should have. I don't know. I mean he was tour manager, he's run yeah. the label miles ago. I don't think sign. he was part of that lineup. But that would be a way he was back at Rollins. Because no, because what happened was at the same time, Keith Morris took a version of Black Flag with Dukowski and Stevenson and another descendants member called Stephen Ergerton. And that's that's the one that he called Flag. He didn't call it Black Flag. So what happened was uh, Des could get confused with all the other flags. Right. White flag. flag. But these guys, hey, Mike, these guys like sue each other for a bit for the name of Black Flag. Yeah. Well, this this is what happened when when, when Morris uh, came out with just Flag with the other, with Dukowski, and eventually Kadena would join up with that band. Ginn and SST Records sued him for a trademark infringement. Okay, because of the name and the use of the black flag. He had like. Uh, it's kind of <laughs> like when uh, Gene Simmons sued King Diamond for his makeup. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what, what Morris was doing was a little fucked up because like he was calling it flag. But then there would be a backdrop oh, of four bars on stage behind it. So what okay. if they called it fag and had four penises? <laughs> ah, that you probably would have yeah. been okay, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just go all out, man. Yeah, why not? why not? Now, Rollins and Ginn were also embroiled in a trademark logo okay. over T-shirt sales. Okay. That's so, what broke up the Ramones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> T-shirts. But up until 2019, uh, 
Greg Ginn's version still plays live. Uh, they're using their former tour manager, Mike Villelli, on vocals, and they've had some various band members. So that's it. You know, as of last year, they're, they're still trying to get off the ground uh, yeah. to play again, but who knows? I think they were supposed to play. I saw a thing they were supposed to play in uh, Greenpoint at uh, Warsaw. Well, with the pandemic. Oh, yeah. That's right. It got postponed. Yeah, yeah that's right. What yeah, lineup was this? Is this yeah. the line, the same lineup that played on January 28th? Yeah. In 2019, with Greg Ginn. All right. You got Greg Ginn, you got Mike Valelli on vocals, and then just like different people playing drums and bass and shit. Not Dukowski. Wow, man. What a fucking else. twisted and crazy history of. <laughs> twisted, twisted, crazy history. Yep. And what's funny is uh, last year, um, the band that Keith Morris has now yeah. called Off, O-F-F, Off, they played, uh, uh, where they played? They played Le Poison Rouge. Le Poison Rouge. Le Poison Rouge. Le Poison Rouge. Yes. And they, like, that's yeah. where we saw that guy on uh, Murphy, right? <laughs> they, yeah. We saw Peter Murphy there. Yeah. And we ended up, um, I, I, went, I ended up going to Beauty Bar after that gig. Because Keith Morris was showing up as like an after party right, show, cool. and he came. It was pretty cool. Yeah, Fayo told me about oh, that. Yeah. Shout out to Fayo. He hooked Are me you up. You going to talk about Black Fag now? Yeah. Now I think we need to talk about Black Fag. I actually saw Black Fag. I saw Black Fag open up for the Meat Men. It had to be at least ten, twelve years ago. Now, and they're actually they do all the Black Flag songs that they do with gay <laughs> lyrics, and they have <laughs> They're two like fat guys. Now, what is rise? And, what is rise above? Uh, they call it rise above, but they just change the lyrics. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of about like it's probably about. Like, it's kind of like Ma- it's like Max Sabbath. It's like yeah, Max like Sabbath. Sabbath. Yeah, but I'm telling you, they're completely <laughs> hilarious. Oh, they gotta be. They gotta be. They got nervous breakdown. What is that one about? I don't want to know. I don't want to know. But I was there, and I was like, and I heard the song. I was like, yeah, I know. And then I heard the lyrics. I was like, this is fucking great. It was, it was truly <laughs> genius. It was genius. I don't know what happened to them. They kind of just did that one tour. And then that I was it. They fell apart. Just block. like, just like Black Flag. They died. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. They should go on tour together. Well, it's funny because like Henry Rollins is on this LBGD. Yeah, he's rights. always about gay rights. But he should he bring them on tour. songs about like Slip It In. So I'm like, yeah. well, <laughs> Slip It In what? <laughs> in your butt. <laughs> so, Mike, uh, what do you think the history and legacy of yeah. this band is other after this whole show? Oh, well, you mean after our show? Yeah, I know. I'm a new asshole for the last hour. No, but I expect you know, a lot of hate mail. <laughs> but I look, live for hate mail. No, I mean, in, in reality, really, the legacy is huge because they, you know, not only were they the first hardcore band as far as I'm concerned. OK, so that scene kicked off with them. Uh, they were really like the first kind of like independent underground band to kind of do DIY in America to do Which their own thing. You know, other I bands. Don't know if you millennials understand do it yourself. No, that means they... you move out of your house when you're 18. You don't live in your <laughs> parents' basement and get an art degree when you're fucking 35. Li- liberal arts for 15 and years. Sue your parents because they took you account. <laughs> exactly, it means you do it yourself yeah. and you get out there. You make flyers, you fucking press your you own understand. records. We were free 
free-range kids. Our parents kicked us out of the house. Yeah. Don't <laughs> free-range, like, that's right. I didn't see my mother until, like, the light, you know, till then, at night. And I have dinner at 8 o'clock at night. And, you know, what did I do? I watched U68 all fucking day, you know? We would go out. Smoke cigarettes. Think about this. We would go out on our bicycles yeah. and our skateboards with no protective gear. Right. No helmets, no elbow pads, because nobody had that shit back then. <laughs> and then we would watch Evil Knievel videos, and we'd jump over fucking garbage cans with our bicycles. And we didn't have BMXs back then. We had fucking puppies. <laughs> Yes, they were they were really huge on the underground scene because you know everything they did from the tours oh, to the to the to the you know doing their own records and the flyers and the promoting wow. they did everything themselves, and that would be that would be a blueprint for yeah you so know they get credit for the whole grunge thing also yeah well a lot of bands like Nirvana okay and and Soundgarden and stuff like that they love Black Flag. They admitted it. And the mentors. And the mentors. Another great And band. Mud Honey. And, you know. We have to do a show on the mentors. Okay. I actually saw the mentors. It was scary. Yeah. They were actually walking around the audience harassing women. Oh, my God. Bald guys. Short bald guys <laughs> with hoods on their heads. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> back then, it was just boys having fun. That's amazing. <laughs> so, this was oh, the man, 75th so... episode of The Rock Show. 74 was the Nirvana Nevermind, and we're moving up to 100 now. But, um, Mike, I'd like to thank you again for another great show. I'd like to thank Joe, uh, George, with all his commentary. And um, he's one funny, yeah, he's one man. funny motherfucker. But, um, <laughs> George, how can people get in contact with you if they want to send you that great hate mail? <laughs> Uh, just send me all hate mail to George Figueroa on Facebook because there's about a hundred of them. <laughs> Some might end up in the wrong place. Yeah, so that even makes it matter. <laughs> oh, Dude, these kids with a the pandemic that got enough time to hit on 100 George Figueroa. <laughs> Keep just sending, sending them as a group. As a group. And Mike, how can we get in oh, touch man. with you, uh, Rocker Mike? Okay, you can find me on Facebook under my real name, uh, which is Michael Baker. And you can find me on Instagram, RockerMike212. Or you can find me on Twitter, RockerMike212. And me, you can find me on every social media, Facebook, um, Twitter, um, Instagram, and also YouTube. So if you want to find me, you look up anything lumped up, and I'm pretty much going to see my big head look like a reject Obama. Yeah, 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 yeah. The head in the Obama swirl. That's scary. Jeez. Hey, that, that, wrong that, wait, wait, the that, Hispanic that, head. Hispanic head. So, the- guys, uh, Mike, so the next guy, who, who who's our next guy that we're talking about is Peter Tork? Tosh. Peter Tosh. We're doing a show on Peter Tosh. And that's that the next show. So, we got Peter Tosh, and then we got Little Richard and the Pretty Thing. So, we got a few good shows coming up for everybody. And, yep, and yep, this is the march to, to it, 100, right? man. Once we get to 100, we're going to have to uh, open up some bubble 
invite George and get fucked up. We're gonna have to. Exactly. It'll be a. It'll be. It'll be a. It'll be the centennial show where we get really in the bunker. Yeah. In the bunker. I'll have some special. I'll have some special scotch and some nicer uh, um, um, vodka for us that day. You'll yeah. have really good one-year-old scotch. <laughs> Made in Brooklyn. It's <laughs> Made in Brooklyn. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> Made in Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. It. All right, Mike. So another great show. Remember how we do it. We don't get drunk. We get lumped up. Get drunk. See you guys next week. Have a good one.